Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. Not joining me this week is Brenna Calvert. We do have another guest on the line, though. Uh, but before we get to that, a quick shout-out to some of our sponsors. So this episode is brought to you by Synergy Sports. Synergy Sports makes some great training tools for training for OCR. They have an, uh, a thing called the Climber, so it's a rotating set of infinite monkey bars. They have some rig grips. They have a pegboard attachment that essentially is a chain and hangs from the ceiling. Some pretty interesting stuff. So head over to SynergySports.com if you haven't seen their stuff. Also, it's the home of Shell Hill, a permanent obstacle course facility in Benson, Vermont. They have a big event coming up at the end of the month. It is 24 hours of Shell Hill. So it's a 24-hour obstacle course race. So if you're in Vermont or you like Ultra OCR, I would check that out. Today's episode, we have a female powerlifter on, Jen Rotzinger. Uh, I'll give you a quick rundown of who she is in the powerlifting world. So previous and current all-time world record holder in the 52-kilogram class. Her best lifts include a 341-pound squat with sleeves, 203-pound bench, 423-pound deadlift, and a 386-pound squat in wraps. Jen is the lightest woman to ever total over 1,000 pounds and the first to do it in the 52-kilogram class. Her next goal is the total 1,000 pounds in sleeves. Current best is 942. And she started competing in 2004 in the geared days of powerlifting and has competed in more than 40 meets. Professionally, Jen is the co-owner of Gorilla Bench Training Center in Clearwater, Florida, powerlifting team manager at Complete Human Performance, and a microbiologist with Kindred Healthcare. So, Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Evan. Cool. Well, uh, one of the things we do on this podcast is we try to bring in people from other sports, so... Well, initially, I think a lot of our listeners may be wondering, you know, what can you learn from powerlifting for obstacle course racing? Uh, I think we're going to get there, talk, especially considering stuff like mindset and preparing for uh, single rep max movements. Sure. Um, but before we get there, let's, for those who may not know, let's just give me like a rundown of what is powerlifting, you know, what are the, what essentially lifts do you compete in, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, powerlifting is a strength sport, one rep max competitions uh squat bench and deadlift in that order so you get three attempts for a squat three attempts for a bench and then three attempts for a deadlift if you um sometimes you can get a fourth attempt if it's like for an all-time world record or an american record or world record or whatever but typically it's nine attempts and and that's your day gotcha and what are the uh i'm assuming there's different leagues right like sometimes you can wear like a squat suit or a Bench shoot or stuff like that, or you know, uh, there's there's, or there's there's about 52 million different federations for powerlifting, um, but typically you have a couple options. Uh, raw is either sleeves or knee wraps, and then you have geared lifting, which is anywhere from single ply, like say bench shirt or squat suit, to as many layers as you can possibly fit on you for multiply. Um, I've competed in all of them. I used to be, do multiply when that was what was 
readily available in, in my community. But since then, about eight years or so, uh, Raw has really taken over most of powerlifting. And that's that's what it currently is, is, is either sleeves or knee wraps and a belt. Gotcha. And what about uh, straps? Are you allowed to use straps in these events? or No, to... no, no straps in competition, just for silly human tricks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, so I think grip strength will be coming up a little bit later in this episode. Definitely something we want to hit on, because with obstacle course racing, that is pretty much our bread and butter besides running speed. So before we get into into that, though, what is your – take us through like a weekly training schedule when preparing for a powerlifting meet. I train four days a week, so I'm Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and so you break that up usually – into two upper bodies and two lower bodies. So for me, particularly, it would be uh, deadlift on Sunday, bench on Monday, squat on Wednesday, bench on Friday, repeat. And depending on how far you out are from a competition, depends on what kind of volume you're hitting, what kind of intensity you're hitting. Um, I also do some cardio, so I'm not purely just strength, um, but it's, it's very minimal. And it's pretty much just to, to keep me as a fairly functioning human being. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've seen some I've seen some videos of powerlifters, and some of them, I mean, look like they're about to have a heart attack walking up to the lifting platform. Well, I, I think there's a big difference between you know you get your your super heavyweights versus your lighter weight, whether it be male or female. Your lighter weight athletes tend to try to optimize their size and weight class versus your super heavies, more is better, right? So just more food. Right. Yeah, that's more leverage you can use to, you know, right. pull, Pow- squat power the weight. belly. Exactly. <laughs> so when you're when you, when you're breaking up the training into those, you know, essentially you're taking a, a work day and then a rest day immediately after, um, kind of take us through the general mindset of, you know, is that the max amount of essentially work you can put in and still – you know, improve or are there are there powerlifters who train more regularly or maybe train less regularly? Kind of take there are rest there cycle. are a lot of different ways to do things, and I've tried just about every single one of them. Um, a lot of times there is there is no one current best best methodology out there. It's whatever your body is not used to. Will you know Elena's a, a training response? Um, so if if you're used to hitting, say, squats just once a week, then you might benefit from increasing your frequency to twice or maybe even three times a week for a little while. Obviously, it depends on how strong you are. If you're a person who is squatting triple body weight for reps, then you're going to take longer to recover than somebody who is just squatting body weight for reps. So... You know, obviously there's a lot of different ways of of doing it, and it it comes down to individual. But if I'm going to paint some broad brush strokes, I would say your your lighter, less, uh, I'll just say it, less strong athletes are going to be able to recover and benefit from a a little bit more frequency versus your, your heavier or more seasoned elder athletes mm-hmm. are going to need a little bit more 
time to recover in between things. Cool. Yeah, I think you hit on some very important points there for some of our listeners. The, you know, getting, forcing your body to adapt and making it do something that it's not generally used to. So I think in obstacle course racing, we have a lot of, you know, the, the people who come from a running background tend to really heavy, go heavy on the running, and the people who come from a strength training or obstacle proficiency background tend to, like, stick with what they're good at and don't put as much time into running. When if you, well, if you force the adaptation, it'll obviously make you improve. Absolutely, and that's why a lot of us have coaches, right, because we'll naturally gravitate towards things that we're good at or things that we like, and we'll naturally avoid things that we don't like or are not as good at. And with any kind of, of training, whether it be OCR or triathlon or powerlifting or weightlifting, doesn't matter. If you don't like one particular part of that sport, then you're probably not going to do it. And forcing yourself to do it is only going to make you better. And I think it's important to have that kind of balance and sight on the entire program and the entire season, et cetera, et cetera. You know, how you, how you manage your training needs to match where your deficiencies are. And you can't always be going 100% always at the stuff that you're good at and ignore the stuff that you're not. You're going to have to cycle through it. Not to say you should ignore what you're good at. You don't want that to become lagging. But it definitely needs to be a focus to, to make yourself do what you don't want to do. Gotcha. Yeah. I completely agree. So with, you know, with improving one rep max, you know, I think there's, we have some athletes who are just getting into OCR who may not even be able to do like a single pull-up. So um, can you take us through some kind of rep schemes for improving one rep max? So if someone was trying to go from like zero pull-ups to one pull-up or um, maybe they're just going for a single rep max, you know, heavier uh, weighted, weighted pull-up. Pull-ups are, pull-ups are a little different than, say, like, a compound movement such as like a squat but this is what I would do for pull-ups um, I would really focus on the negative so I, I don't really like putting a band hanging a band and stepping into it and, and doing pull-ups like that if you're not strong enough um, to me that's only helping you in the spot that you're already strong and it's not really doing much in the spot that you're not. So I've found that I've had athletes that came to me that were like, I was told that body weight exercises are stupid for powerlifters. And I'm like, um, that's because you can't do them. So it is kind of stupid for you to do it. So let's work on that. And I took this, eh, he's probably about 240 at the time, 20-year-old uh, kid, and he couldn't do one pull-up, and by the time he got done with me, he was adding on, it was only like 15 pounds, but he was still adding on weight and doing multiple singles or doubles or triples. So, you know, it wasn't like stupendous, I'm going to write home and write a blog about how I did this. It's just solid gains. And what I did was really focused on the negative, so I'll have... Uh, people do jumping pull-ups, so you jump up to the top, and then, you, you know, three, four, five-second lowering of down, and then jump back up to the top. And then eventually what that's going to do is you're going to be able to lift yourself back up to the top without having to jump. 
and getting that first one sets the stage because then you know you can do it and then you try to go two or three or four so a lot of times I'll go start it out with like four sets of four and if you can only do jumping only do jumping fine but do those negatives and be really slow and methodical about it and stay tight and eventually you know instead of doing four singles we'll maybe go two by two or three by one and just slowly increase the intensity I found that if you really want to work on a one rep max which was the other part of your question um one let's assume that we have some training under our belt right like i'm not gonna you're not gonna give me a brand new person who's never lifted a weight and let's go establish a one rep max that's not that's not gonna work um you need you need some training you need some volume in there you need to get that mind muscle connection you need to know what what you're doing but let's say that you give me someone who hey i've been training for six months i think i want to do a powerlifting meet what's going to get me to optimize my one rep max the short answer is doing heavier loads i have done bulgarian method which is very high intensity multiple times a week um it worked well for three months and then the sky fell in and everything crashed down because i was overtrained because i wasn't giving myself enough variation because i wasn't giving myself enough opportunity to actually recover um so if you want to your one rep max is highly neurological adaptation you have to have the muscle there to to do it but it's making the brain tell all of the muscles to work at the same time let's move this object or whatever it is so specificity is key when it comes to training and you're going to get better by doing one rep maxes by doing one rep maxes or damn near close to it doubles triples singles but the caveat to that is that you can't keep that going on for too long because your body will eventually give you the middle finger and then you're going to either be nursing injury which is going to force you to deload or you're just going to you're going to walk into the gym and all of a sudden you can't bench press 90% of what you did 2 days before so yeah. Long story short, or short story long, that's how you do it. Gotcha. So you said um, when you were doing the Bulgarian method, you hit a point of overtraining. So for you, was what personally was that? Was it did you end up getting injured, or did you have to lower the weight? And you found you couldn't do them anymore. Or was there something? Yeah, else? I had to lower the weight. I went from let's easy math say, I bench pressed 200 pounds for like a couple weeks. 200 201 202 etc cetera, etc cetera. and then all of a sudden I couldn't even bench press 190 180 and I'm like wait a minute <laughs> I didn't feel bad necessarily I wasn't excited about training but you know that happens and then I also started ignoring some oh well this kind of hurts but it, it's fine and you know ignoring little things and i've learned over my multitude of years in sport that you don't want to ignore your body you don't necessarily want to embrace everything that hurts all the time but you need to understand why something hurts and you know do a risk assessment is this worth the potential long-term injury 
to work around or work through this injury versus let's just take the time off right now and heal this up. I didn't really necessarily have any injuries per se, but I had some little nagging things that probably were keeping me from getting into the right positions. And a lot of it, I think, was just hormonal, where your body just kind of goes, you know, no, we're not recovering. So I, I've changed my methodologies a lot since then, but it, it still taught me some valuable lessons. Gotcha. Definitely, definitely some good advice in there for obstacle course racers. We have a tendency to, you know, go balls to the wall all the time and, you know, not take rest weeks or not take down weeks or not, you know, race every weekend. Um, and I, I think that long, longevity in any sport is, is pretty simple. Um, not easy necessarily because we're human and we like to do stupid things, but it's pretty easy. Stress, rest, stress, rest. But you need that rest part. You know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the motivational memes of, well, you know, somebody out there is working harder than you right now because you're sitting on your butt resting. But if you don't sit on your butt to rest, then you're not going to recover. And if you don't recover, how are you going to make force the next adaptation and actually get stronger or faster or better cardiovascular conditioning or whatever the case may be, right? So stress and rest. That rest, especially if you want to not just be a, you know, one race wonder or, you know, let's get to the top apex of your sport for two years and then all of a sudden, who? Who are we talking about? Right. You know, I, I love my sport, so I want to be doing it as for as long as possible, which means let's have a long-term view of training. Know when to when to push and when to calm down just a little bit. You'll be fine. And it's a hard balance, especially mentally, to to do. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I mean, I think all you know, even myself on social media and stuff like that. We always post our workouts and stuff like that. But there's also rest days mixed in there, and that's how you're recovering and actually getting better uh, by letting your body heal. And most people don't talk about that. Like, I took a rest day yesterday. I didn't. I just hung out with my family. I didn't really do anything. But I wasn't, like, posting, like, oh, sick rest day today, you know? R- laid on the couch yeah, for two hours. Took a nap. It was awesome, <laughs> you know? Although, uh, two-hour naps on the couch, especially if you have a fur baby, are absolutely fabulous and should be posted more often. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a fur baby. I have an actual baby. But, uh, ah, well, okay. That'll work, too. But she, she was, uh, she let me sleep on the couch, which was nice. So it was a good, it was a good rest day. Uh, speaking of, you know, recovering and uh, resting, what is your taper week, or you know, or how long do you taper for before a competition, or what does that kind of that uh, peaking process look like for a powerlifter? Um, usually, it's about the last six weeks of, you know, six weeks leading up into a, a powerlifting meet. Uh, you'll start to, and I'm just going to throw some numbers and percentages out there, and obviously there's, take it with a grain of salt. But you might start out with, like, your first six weeks out, like 80% or 85%, and you slowly go maybe 85 to 90, 92, 95, maybe about two to three weeks out, and then you're really going to start tapering down 
um, accessory work. So those percentages were on, you know, obviously my competition list of squat, bench, deadlift. Um, but then you're going to be taking away some of the accessory movements. And or instead of doing four sets, you might only do three sets. Instead of doing 12, you might do eight. So you, you need to, it's inversely proportional, your intensity and your volume. So you have to have less volume with higher intensity you go, but also pay attention to how, how hard you're going on your other lifts. Once again, going back to that, you need to know when to push and when not. You know, that last six weeks, especially the last two to three weeks, you're probably going to be doing some of your heavier lifts. Um, I'm two and a half weeks out from my, my next competition. And yesterday I hit a new PR in my squat at 350 in sleeves. So that's just going to kind of an example of two weeks out, I have one more real squat day, which is next Wednesday. And then the next Wednesday would just be kind of, kind of blood flow, 40 to 60% of my one rep max, just for a couple doubles and singles, just to kind of make sure there's no rust butt building up and everything's feeling okay. Cause I'm going to be in a deficit at that point. You know, there's always, whenever you have a weight class sport, you're always going to have some body manipulation to, in order to maximize how much you weigh for weigh in versus how much you weigh when you actually compete. Um, I have a 24 hour weigh in. So I actually walk around a few pounds. We'll, we'll just leave it as a few pounds over my actual weight class that I compete in. So the last week, you really don't want to be doing much because you're going to, I'm not going to have any carbs. It's going to be veggies and protein and like 1,200 calories. It's going to be horrible, miserable. But that's what the name of the game is. So that's what I do. So since you do compete in a, in a specific weight class, I mean, I'm assuming your goal is to keep as much lean muscle mass as as much lean muscle mass and as little body fat as possible, right? For yeah, especially around competition, competition time. Absolutely. So what what is your what is your like day to day diet look like, or what's your like you know training? Diet? I I fluctuate when I'm cutting. So if I'm eight weeks, ten weeks, twelve weeks, six weeks, depending on how fluffy I allow myself to get in an off season, um, my calories get drop down pretty pretty low uh, non-training days we're talking like 1200 training days we're talking 15 to 1900 for a person who's five foot one 120 ish obviously yeah. we're trying to push towards the closer I am to 120 the easier because I normally get like six to eight pounds on a water cut so I want to be within six pounds because I know that's my minimum that I that I get from the same procedure I do every single time. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I try not to be anything above <laughs> that 120, maybe 121 if I'm pushing it, uh, you know, a week before the contest because I know it's just going to be, it's gonna, I'm going to have to hot tub it more or sauna or whatever, manipulate even more. And then, you know, that comes risk-reward. That comes with the risk of not being able to properly hydrate and properly refeed, get the glycogen back, et cetera, et cetera. Cause like I said, I go pretty low carb the week before. 
But if you're like t- talking off season, off season, like what am I going to be eating in November, December, mm-hmm. when I don't have a competition for two to three months? Um, I I'm not afraid of carbs. I also will try to increase my aerobic activity just a little bit to burn a little bit more, but I'm usually going to be a little bit higher volume too. So I'm trying to build muscle. So there's always that I'm off season. You try to build more muscle and then you try to lose all the fluff that you gain while you're, you know, living life and eating in the off season. And it's that, that constant back and forth throughout the year that is weight sport or weight class sports. Gotcha. So do you monitor uh, macronutrients, or do you generally monitor calories? What's your I do macros. Way of monitoring? Yeah, okay. I do macros. I've been doing I've been doing macros for I don't know three, four, oh shoot, five years now. 2012 is when I think I really started paying attention to my diet, and that just works well for me. I sometimes pay attention to timing, and I sometimes don't. You know, it depends on. Depends on how many calories I'm actually eating, you know, obviously, so if I'm a little bit higher on the calories, my, my, my nutrient timing isn't nearly as important as if I'm eating, you know, 1,300 in training, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which I have before. I try not to go that low and, because it's, it's miserable, but, you know, then the timing becomes a little bit more important, but if you're over on your calories, then... You know, it, I don't sweat it. I go, oh, okay. And I just, and if I'm not exactly on my macros, as long as I can hit calories next, right? So in the hierarchy, I try to hit my macros perfectly because I know if I hit my macros, then my calories are good. But if I go out to dinner with friends and they don't have, it's all all pasta. There's no meat and you know vegetables to be had. Then I go, okay, well, I'm not going to hit my macros exactly, but let's try to keep it in the same realm calorically. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, So I know mindset is obviously very important when approaching a lifting platform or going for a new PR. And for obstacle course racing, while not exactly the same, you know, we have these things called rigs that have like 12 to 16 holds on them that require traversing with your hands. And I know if I don't, like, mentally prepare myself when running up to that rig, it's going to be a lot harder than if I am I know I'm about to go in and put in max effort to cross this thing. So kind of just take me through the mindset of you personally or maybe uh, other power lifters that you know when you're preparing for, like, a one-rep max lift. I, I think it's going to be slightly different than for OCR. Um for me, for one rep max, I mean, I know that I just have to, it's only going to last, it's going to last less than 10 seconds. So the misery is short. And I usually just going to kind of give my myself a pep talk of just don't give up. <laughs> uh, simply put, you're going to take this weight out. You're going to do all your cues like you're supposed to. You're going to keep your you know, upper back tight or whatever I'm trying to tell myself at, at that point. Um, and, and I'm going to trust in the process and I'm going to trust that my coach wouldn't have me do this if he didn't think I was ready to do this. I know that I'm strong enough. This is what I've been, this is what I've been training for. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. With a one rep max, 
because because you know that it's only going to last, let's say, ten seconds. For me, because that's the kind of athlete I am, that's a lot easier to grapple with than, like, say, a long distance runner, where all right, let's really gear up for that 26 mile run that we have you know i mean you can't keep yourself mentally aroused for that many hours versus 10 seconds right so for to me the mindset would be a slightly different although i could see that if you have something like an obstacle that you or just are not good at and that same kind of i've been training this i've been working on it if I do everything I'm supposed to, I will pass it. I'll get through it, whatever the case. And, you know, I, I think it's the trust in the process that helps me mentally get through those times where I don't want to do whatever I'm doing. Gotcha. Good answer. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, again, also obviously agree. The, I think the... Yeah, so I do very, very long distance obstacle course racing. We're talking hours, hours and hours in length. But the uh, and for that, I'm I'm pretty much on cruise mode almost the entire race. My mind's just kind of uh, wandering, doing whatever it does. Uh, and then I have to. The only time I really have to psych myself up is like you said when I'm approaching something that you know I may be five hours into a race and I have to do an obstacle that I know is hard. So I have to like really focus for that, you know, 100 meters leading up to it so I can put out max effort to cross this thing uh, without problem. But Yeah, and I think, that, you know, just going with the approach of, you know, it's a finite amount of time. You're going to survive. You'll be okay. Just get through it. You'll probably surprise yourself. Because cool. so a lot of people, before they even start the process, will, will give up on it. I mean, I've seen lifters... <laughs> I've, I've I've seen lifters where on their way down on the squat they start shaking their head. Well, we yeah. know what's going to happen, <laughs> you know. Like they already know that they're not going to get it, so there's no chance that they are because they've already given up on themselves. So you got to have that that positive self-talk before you go before you go try to accomplish any feat of whatever. If you let if you let that doubt take over, then there's no way that you're going to get through that obstacle or get through that squat or whatever. Do you use any specific mantra when you go up? I know some people like to repeat things over in their head. Uh, for deadlift, because it's the last lift of the day, and especially like on my last attempt, um, I do. I have one thing that I say, and that's, this is what you came for. This is why you're here today. Let's go do this. It's very simple. But I tell myself that repeatedly, and it seems to work pretty well for me. <laughs> nice. So being a woman in a powerlifting sport, which I'm assuming is fairly male-heavy? Um, it used to be very, very much so. It's about 40, 60 now. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's really grown. Uh, when I first started, I would be the only female in a group of, you know, 20, 40 people, or maybe there would be like two or three others, but it was like, hey, you're a woman, I'm a woman, let's be friends, and now it's like half of the the whole meet is women, 
So it's actually grown exponentially. That's where most of the growth in powerlifting has been, is women and, and kids. Cool. So what do you think has caused that rise, and then kind of when did that start? You know, was that five years uh, ago or raw, 20 years ago? Lifting, I think, really was the, the impetus, especially for youth. Um, and then with, you know, powerlifters love, love, love to bash on CrossFitters. <laughs> and I feel like everyone likes to bash on CrossFitters. But go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, if it gets more people into my sport, then why? Well, because they're not strong or what they're not lifting enough weight or whatever. And it's like, that makes me look better. Shut up. I'm okay with that. Like, <laughs> so you're going to, people don't knock other runners who do, you know, a 5K turkey trot uh, every Thanksgiving. And that's just because they're going to go run with their friends. And that's what they just are going to go do and going to have fun and whatever. You know, they don't dis those average people who have just decided to do a race. So why do powerlifters feel like they should diss people who, hey, this is my first meet. I'm just going to try it out. I just started doing CrossFit. This sounded like fun. Like, why are you shooting yourself in the foot? I don't understand this. I was going to go somewhere with that, but I don't know where. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, no problem. The um, yeah, I think uh, for obstacle course racing, we're fairly welcoming to new people. Uh, just because without, so there's, there's typically only only one elite wave or one competitive wave where people are legitimately running for time and they care about placement, and then the other eighty to ninety percent of the race is people are just out there to have a good time. See, so, and and I think that that's one thing that a lot of other sports are doing correctly. I, I think that powerlifting wants to be like, look at me, look at me, look how strong I am, when if you really want to grow the sport and you really want to grow your clientele that you know, you're know you coaching or that you're selling supplements to or you're selling whatever little gimmicky devices or whatever, knee sleeves, whatever, then you don't – you don't want to put down the people who are just trying it out and just going to be weekend warriors. That's where your bread and butter is. That's the, those are the people who is, are putting money into the pot to allow the competitions to grow. Right. To, you know, like, so I think that's where all the prize money times, comes from. Like right. It, without, right. without, especially for obstacle course racing, without that 80 to 90%, like, there would be no race because it costs too much money to build and put on the obstacles. Like, we, we just wouldn't have races. So. Exactly. And and that's where I think the problem with powerlifting has been is that they don't they don't curtail enough to the, the new lifters and the 80 to 90 percent of people who are not elite. And I think that having a good experience for everyone, not just the elite. Like, I've been to, invited to like the U.S. Open and Boss of the Bosses and some of the bigger uh, powerlifting meets in the country. And although I love, I love how I'm treated there, like, oh, you're, you're so awesome. And I, I, who doesn't, like, have their ego inflated? But what really is paying the bills 
is like you said, you know, when I go to a local meet that has 120 lifters and I could beat even the guys, but that's okay because that's what's growing the sport. And that's where, that's where the money's at is the masses. Yep, absolutely. So kind of piggybacking off that question, uh, moving forward with powerlifting, like I know in obstacle course racing, our big thing right now is one, you know, people want to get more TV exposure, and that seems to be happening with some of the races. And then the other big push is there's this, you know, people want to get obstacle course racing into the Olympics. <laughs> so, you know, from from the powerlifting side, is there... You know, is there similar talk? Do people even care about that stuff? Or Oh, well, okay, so, like I said, there are a bunch of federations. And the one federation that has the, the closest ties with the IOC is USAPL or IPF. USAPL is the American affiliate. IPF is the international um, affiliate. IPL, IPF, whatever. Um, and so they are in talks with, the IOC, and they've been courting them for as long as I've been lifting. But this is, if you ask me what my rational brain thinks and what my heart thinks, they're two different answers. I would love to see powerlifting in the Olympics. However, it's boring. And the IOC doesn't want boring sports. They want, I mean, Weightlifting is having a hard enough time, and you're going to bring in another weightlifting-like sport. Right. Like wrestling is having a hard enough time to getting people to watch because they, they want to. It's a business, right? Like they want to sell those commercial spots and they want to sell sell stuff. And so, in order for you to sell stuff, you have to have people who want to watch something. And if it's boring, then people ain't going to watch it. They, they could make powerlifting a little bit more entertaining with editing, um, but that would be about the only way. You know, a four-hour powerlifting meet, cut it down into a highlight video of six minutes, and boom, that would probably work. But unless it's I, – I, unfortunately, I think the writing's on the wall. Unless it's going to be entertaining and unless you can sell, it's not going to get there. So, you know, maybe with like with OCR you have enough highlight spots of people jockeying for position. I mean, they do it on the other races that they have, you know, biking isn't necessarily long, you know, long distance biking isn't the most exciting thing ever, but yet they can still edit it together and right. make it fairly entertaining. So I think that as long as you still have that capability with whatever sport that you're trying to get into the Olympics you have a shot, but I don't think powerlifting's chances are all that high. Although it is in, uh, it's a para-Olympic sport. Bench press is a para-Olympic sport, so we're kind of there. Mm. I think the, one of the my favorite things you just said was it's a business, and I think people forget that sometimes. That even the Olympics are, you know, they, they make money. They're they're a money-making machine. machine. Uh, I just read a book. What was it called? Um, it was like the history of the Olympics, and it was to see the growth and like the you know you know the some of the ideals at the beginning were like oh this is such a pure 
sporting endeavor, and then you can see its transformation, and then it really takes off, like, you know, post-1950, and they start adding all these sponsors, and there's, like, like a billion dollars for, like, you know, television rights. It just I would, gets, it I would even, the, I would even uh, say that possibly you go back to even, like, the 1936 Olympics with, with Hitler's Olympics, and that yep. was really, like, the first one with all the pomp and circumstance. And that is pretty much, we've adapted that. Hey, we like this. Okay, let's sell the city. Let's sell the country. Let's sell the, you know, idea of the perfect whatever. And there was a lot of propaganda and manipulation then, and we've been doing it ever since. So if you look historically, I would now suggest that it, it goes back from, to, from then. You're actually, yeah, you're spot on. The, uh, I mean, the, the, I can't remember the name of the book, like I said, but. That, they pointed out Hitler, like the modern Olympics are essentially, it's like we don't want to admit it, but it's from Hitler, right? Yeah. Because he said, when he held the 1936 Olympics, he said, you know, in Berlin, it was, well, this is a thousand-year Reich, so every four years the Olympics will be held in Berlin. So we're going to make it the best event ever and because we're going to reuse this facility in four years and then four years again after that and four years. So they, they built all the athlete housing. You know, they, they made it it's such a – spectacular event and then uh after well, that you know people and, and, wanted they, to... and they hid all of their ghettos and they they put lipstick and rouge and new paint on <laughs> all of their uh storefronts to show how well off and economically booming they are doing and if you look at rio they did the same thing they tried to show us how you know what a great country they are how they're thriving yet News reports comes out to, to the opposite, but it's still this propaganda machine. No, right, right on. I, uh, I hear you. So wouldn't – I feel like powerlifting would have an easier time because, uh, like you said, there's already you know, strength sports or weightlifting sports in the Olympics. It seems like it would be easier just to add another you – know, add a powerlifting event underneath the umbrella of Olympic lifting. Is that not the case? No, because people in their traditions, people are silly, and they don't want to do that. I think there's backlash, not backlash, there's pushback in the weightlifting community. They don't want to open up the ranks for these silly little powerlifters. And I just don't think that powerlifting is, like I said, I just don't think that it's entertaining enough. Mm. I, I, I think that strongman would have a better chance of getting into the Olympics than powerlifting. Yeah, so pretty so much had, any I, other sport. <laughs> I had Kale Beck on the podcast, uh, I can't remember, a bunch of episodes ago, and we kind of had this, we had a similar discussion talking about the Olympics, and uh, strongman and obstacle course racing, part of them are, part of their similarity is that they use non-standard stuff. So there's, you know, at least from the obstacle course racing side, people don't want to see standardization. They don't want it to be like, all right, every monkey bars and every race will be, you know, 15 feet with, you know, 10 rungs separated by X number of inches. Um, so there's this aversion to standardization because the, at least I think, the thing that makes obstacle course racing interesting and great is there's such varied obstacles and such varied terrain and distances that it's really anybody's race in a lot of these races where, you know, you can have multiple lead changes. And I've gone from, like, 15th place up to third 
in the last 50 meters of a race because people were stuck at obstacles. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely you know an interesting point that <laughs> you have powerlifting and a lot of these other sports that you know you can't have baseball. You can't you have certain standards for bats and you have certain standards for balls. You have certain standards for you know everything and so you're like super super strict. And then you have stuff like OCR and strongman, which is like, hey, what are we doing today, boys? I don't know. What are we doing? Let's go do this thing. Oh, I'm going to sign up for a competition. I don't know what's in it. It's going to be a surprise. I mean, you don't even know, like, until the day of the competition. Yeah, sometimes they put out maps and they have mystery obstacles on the maps. Yeah, which is nuts, right? Like, that that would be difficult for my brain to be able to be, you know, adapt on the fly. Because I know, you know, the bench is, how the bench is going to fit. And I know, hell, <laughs> we even get, we even get upset when they're, the standards, you know, the, um, like squat rack or bench or whatever are not to the standards that we're used to. And then you'll have people complain, let alone if it was like just kind of randomly set up okay, we're going to have a bench, but we don't know how tall it's going to be, and we don't know how much the bar is going to weigh, and we don't know the circumference of the bar. It's just going to be right. whatever it is. You know, like, it would that would definitely change the sport. It would be interesting. So also one of the things with obstacle course racing is there was a push for it to go under another sport. So there was talk about, like, modern pentathlon of, like, somehow squeaking in under them for obstacle, for, uh, obstacle course racing to the Olympics. Um, so, I know from the obstacle course racing side, like, I don't think that's beneficial. Like, I think the name needs to go with it. Like, the, it, should, it should say obstacle course racing, not modern pentathlon. So, with powerlifting, uh, is there an aversion, would you say, from the powerlifting side? Or is it mainly from the um, Olympic lifters who are like, we don't want to let powerlifters in? And I know you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. I, 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 I'm, I'm really kind of speaking out of my butt. Um, (laughs) but I, I think it's more of like powerlifting would want to be called powerlifting. They wouldn't want to be, I don't think they want it to be, okay, what can you do for a super total? And a super total is a clean, a jerk, squat, bench, and deadlift. Um, which would be interesting because that would be definitely, because the Olympic lifts are more finesse. They're more technical. Right. And and so if you get out of groove on a clean and jerk or a snatch, then you're probably not going to make it. You get out of groove a little bit on a bench or a squat or a deadlift, and you can kind of fight it back in and, and lock it out. Now, you can't do that necessarily on a one rep max and a true one rep max, but there's a little bit more grindability. Oh, let's correct something that gets a little bit out of spot. Um, so that it, it would take definitely like two different types of definitely two different types of training. Uh, but I, I just don't I, I, I don't think that that's how it, if it would ever go into the Olympics, I think it would be separate. It wouldn't be let's add three more events to weightlifting. It would be mm-hmm. this is powerlifting. It's a new sport. Got it. 
Okay, before we uh, take it off and wrap wrap up this interview, let's. Well, I wanted to touch on some grip strength stuff. So, if you had someone who's you know working on their deadlift and is, can't seem to hold onto the bar, you know, what would you recommend for grip strength improvement as well, a powerlifter? Grip grip for like my sport and grip for your sport are slightly different, and I don't know necessarily why. It just seems to be like I knew this one kid that I trained for a little while. And he could do weighted pull-ups, and his grip never gave out whenever he had his hands over his head, and he was holding himself up. But I would program deadlifts, and I'd be like, okay, do you know 85% for, for five, which you should be able to do. And he's like, my grip is given out. My grip is given out. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. You have great grip strength on these other things, but yet uh, – but to answer your question – more grip. Uh, so if you're going to do deadlift, warm up, double overhand grip until, because we normally, okay, so there's two different ways to grab a bar to deadlift. There's a hook grip, which you kind of smash your thumb in between the bar and your hand, and that's how you hold it. That's how Olympic lifters typically hold their bars. And then you have a mixed grip, which is one hand is over and one hand is under, so one pronated, one is supinated. And so that kind of keeps the bar from rolling out one direction. So if you grab the bar double overhand, it's going to want to roll back to you, right? It's going to want to roll out of your fingers. So one way to work on that is to, one, try not to use straps. So you try to, for any assistance exercise, try to use just your hands. Um, And then, like, if you're doing, like I said, deadlifts, warm up double overhand and really try to hold it there at the top in your hands to give that extra training stimulus to your grip. So what I would say, we have at the gym, um, you know, this little pull-up adapter that you can stick your fingers in. They're like little udders, but you stick your fingers in, and it's just the very, like, first knuckle of your finger can can slide in so you can do pull-ups based on that like with that we also have like shafts where you can grip around it and you can do pull-ups on those so different implements to while you're doing the pull-ups to give you a slightly different grip position we also have balls that you can you know hold on to so i would think that that possibly that would be good carryover for an OCR person or someone who's doing American Ninja Warrior or rock climbing or, you know, any of those things where you're holding yourself up a lot, um, the different training stimuluses and different ways to do that would work slightly different muscles in your hands and forearms and upper back and allow to you to hold on a little bit better. Right on. Good, good answer there. Um, so before we finally take off, uh, where can people find you or follow you on social media? And if they're interested in getting into powerlifting, what do you recommend is the best website or route to go route researching that information? Well, um, I'm on Instagram, Jay Rotzinger. Um, on Facebook, Jen Rotzinger. I'm the only one in the world, so it's, I'm easy to find. Um, powerlift or uh, Complete Human Performance, we have all kinds of training. So even if you were an OCR athlete and you decided that, hey, you know, I want to get a little stronger 
my legs are always weak going, I can't climb over this wall or I can't do whatever. Um, we have coaches who do that, but we also have coaches who, obviously, myself and others, uh, who do powerlifting coaching. So the nice thing about our philosophy is that we can get you ready for that OCR meet, and we can also simultaneously get you ready for a powerlifting meet. Obviously, it's best to have them kind of spread out, but you can still simultaneously train, and they have some carry over from one to the other. Getting stronger is never a bad thing. Um, so you can check out our services there, completehumanperformance.com. And as far as just, like, getting into the sport, I would I would just try to find a local event and go check it out. Go meet people. Go talk to people. Say, hey, where do you train? Can I jump in to, and train with you? Um, the, the powerlifting community is still pretty old school as far as welcoming and, hey, you like this? I like this. Let's go do this together. It's getting a little bit more, okay, if you like this, I like this, why don't you pay me to do this? But you can still find pockets of people who train together and just help each other out. And that's where I would try to fall into a powerlifting-specific gym in order to learn powerlifting is really the best way to do it. So there you go. Cool. Yeah, big fan of Complete Human Performance. I've written articles for them in the past, and your guys' coaching staff is, is deep. I mean, there's there's people you can find for pretty much any sport, and uh, their their knowledge crosses over real well. When, yeah, I, started, ahead, when I started Strength and Speed uh, a couple years ago, so it was before I got into obstacle course racing, I was doing I was actually doing marathon running, and then I would do like triathlon for four months, and then I'd switch to something like powerlifting, although I didn't actually compete in any, like, sanctioned meets. It was just, like, me and my friends lifting heavy in the gym. Um, and then I would do, like, bodybuilding for a couple months, and then back to the beginning. So, like, I, w- I was looking for an organization that does does both, and I, I just couldn't find it. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just kind of create my own. And uh, that's kind of what I did, and then got into obstacle course racing. So my website initially started off as – it was supposed to be like hybrid training, just like complete human performance, but it uh, it kind of was kind of straight into OCR because that's what I've been into the last uh, about three years. So uh, yeah, I have a uh, one of our coaches, Alec Blennis. He does a lot of yep. OCR um, coaching, obviously long distance running, et cetera, et cetera. And we've shared athletes before, and yeah, he had one. He was like, hey. I got a guy who wants to do a powerlifting meet. How much time do you need? And I go, well, I'd like 12 weeks, you know, to make it powerlifting-specific training for a 12-week cycle. Usually has pretty good results on a platform. So that's what I'd like to do. And, and that's the beauty of, of that organization is that you can go no hard feelings. You don't have to break up with your coach. You don't have to go, oh, well, it's not personal and have all that weirdness. It's just like, hey, cool. You want to go do this? I'm going to put you under the tutelage of this coach right now. And then if you want to come back and do this again with me, then that's cool too. And you don't have that kind of weirdness, weirdness of breaking up with a coach or, you know, change. It's, it's a pretty easy transition from, from one t- to another. Yeah, and Alec, uh, he, I don't know if he's still racing now, but he used to race a lot and was very good. So obviously knows what he's talking about. And 
I remember him posting some videos uh, a couple of years ago, him doing some lifts that he's putting up some pretty serious weight. So yeah, uh, he's been getting a lot, a lot stronger lately. Is he still racing OCR, or is he has he phased that out? I haven't seen him post anything OCR specific. Um, I haven't really. He's been kind of vacant from social media lately, other than he just went and got a bunch of bananas. But other than that, like it's good to know. Yeah, right. Like he's three four bananas by right now. Just FYI, and yeah, August twenty seventeen. But. Um, yeah, I know he's still he's definitely still coaching and he's still still working on stuff. I'm not quite sure what he's up to though. And also, I, I think uh, Nicodemus Holland does he still work for you guys or did he work for you? Yeah, he's he's one of our coaches. Sure. Yep. Yeah. So he, uh, another ultra runner that also he he usually comes out to the 24 hour World's Toughest Mudder event in Las Vegas every year. So mostly ultra runner, but he does obstacle course racing stuff too. And, also probably a good wealth of knowledge there. All right, well, uh, that's kind of it. Any final shout-outs you want to give to any people or companies or anything like no, that before we take off? No, I can't think of anything because I'm horrible at that kind of thing. <laughs> All right, Jen, well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Definitely some great lessons learned and some good information here. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy. And uh, we'll talk to you again in the future. Thanks so All much. All right, sounds good. All right, thanks. Bye.